this sermon has been preached a hundred times by a million different preachers. Uh, almost so much so that we're, uh, preachers are typically afraid to preach on just John 3.16. That's why I'm going to start in Numbers. Numbers 21 says, They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient. If you don't know the story, God has rescued his people from Egypt, from slavery. Um, God has constantly been rescuing his people from other people. And throughout this story, he's going to be rescuing his people from all sorts of people. He's going to be rescuing his people from the Jebusites, from the, the people of Jericho, from the Amorites, from the Philistines. From the, There's all sorts of, um, those are either nationalities or motorcycle gangs. I'm not sure, I haven't studied. But they're, they're nationalities. There's different people all throughout Israel, and they are... Um, they are t- the Israelites are coming in and taking over the land and are going to take over the land, and they are constantly having to fight off different people. God is always saving his people from other people. But they grew impatient, and they spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. Okay, quick story. Um, God gave them manna. We don't know what manna is. The only descriptions we have of it are its name, manna, which in Hebrew means, what is it? No, I'm not messing around. That's exactly what it means. Um, we have manna, and then we have here this miserable food. I know how God feels at this moment. Because you can cook, and I don't cook a lot. Um, I make too big of a mess when I cook. It's just, it's, it's, I don't know how it happens. There's peanut butter um, on the walls. I didn't even use peanut butter. But when I cook and you show the kids, I made this for you. I just spent the last 30 minutes to an hour preparing food for you. And they're like, I don't like that. Okay. I don't care. You get food. You don't, you don't realize how blessed you are that we get to, we just get food. I, we, my son woke up this morning and wanted waffles. We drove and found waffles somewhere. Just bought them at, at Cash Saver. We can go get whatever we want, whenever we want it. I don't like it. Now, now we gripe about these gripers. About these complainers, we will say, oh, the Israelites were just a bunch of complainers. They, they, oh man, they just couldn't, they just complained and complained. Yeah, they didn't have food or water, and they ate the same thing every day. Sometimes your phone takes a while. And you complain. But yet, these Israelites, starving, thirsty, 
having the same food just show up over and over again, and we're, we're, they're the complainers, and we are the judges. But they were. They were complaining. The Bible says they complained. They spoke out. We're tired of this detestable food. Then the Lord, as he does, or as he did here, sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. Okay. I don't know if it counts as true repentance when a snake chases you there. But obviously, yes, we sinned when we... When, okay, we realize the, the snakes have made us aware of the errors of our ways. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten by the snake can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on the pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So this is the first time in this whole time that God saved the people from themselves. He's been saving them from, from Pharaoh and from the, from the people of Jericho. He's been saved. But every once in a while, God had to save the people from themselves. Sometimes it took snakes. But God was trying to get their attention and, and teach them that, that they need to look to him. And so God said, we'll just make a, make a snake and we'll, we'll just look at that. How hard is that? Who refused? It's the easiest anti-venom in the world to look at something and live. Surely no one was bitten by a snake and then said, well, no, I just don't. I don't really even have the time. I would look at the snake, but we've got so much. I mean, softball is just running us into the ground. Who, who obviously, when offered an opportunity to simply be rescued from your own brokenness, you would look to the thing that would rescue you. I mean, obviously, that would be the thing you would do. It was something as simple as a snake bite and a bronze snake. Now, we say all, I say all this because uh, Jesus is speaking with a man named Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3. Nicodemus shows up at night, uh, and it says, and he's a member of the Sanhedrin. So Nicodemus is probably an uh, older gentleman for that time. You know, he's probably in his late 40s to early 60s around there. Older gentleman who shows up to Jesus in the middle of the night. So Jesus has been... Has been um, ministering and has all these uh, these crowds and he's healing people and it, you can't really uh, you can't really get to him so nicodemus shows up and he says uh, we know that you are from god and because uh, uh, otherwise you wouldn't be able to do any of these things and jesus instead of saying thank you just says anyone who wants to enter the kingdom of heaven must be born again now, the word there, the Greek word there, again, could also mean from above. 
So it could either mean born again or born from above. And if you're a student of John, you know that the answer to that question is yes. Um, he means both. John is excellent at these double-meaning words where it means both things. Um, so he says, you've got to be born again. Well, then Nicodemus says, Nicodemus in a confused way, and this is the way rabbis talk to one another. They, they banter with questions. Anyone who uh, wants to be enter the kingdom of heaven needs to be born again. Oh, he says, how, they, how can that be? Surely someone couldn't re-enter their mother's womb and then be born a second time. And Jesus says, unless you're born of the water and of the Spirit, then you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And he said, Nicodemus just gets more and more confused. He walks in confidently. If I could just get this young whippersnapper away from the crowds. You know, Jesus at this time is 30, 30 years old. And I, I look at 30-year-olds and think, oh, they're kind of young. Um, I'm only five years older than them, but it still feels like a long time. Um, and I laugh at them because they're panicking about turning 30. It's a fun time. Right, Felicia? The, uh... <laughs> you still got two years. So there are, um, but there, but he's he's young compared to the, all the other members of the Sanhedrin. They're all like just, just children, and he's like, "What? Who's this guy with all these crowds?" So let's go to him at night and let's let's maybe I, I can reason it with him. You're from God. We know you're from God. There's a good chance he's wanting him to look more like a Pharisee to kind of join the crowd to have the power that the Pharisees had, and so he says, "I." We know you're from God, and then Jesus throws him this curveball that confuses him. He said, "Well, wait, what? What?" And then he throws him another one, and he says, "You know, it's like the, the spirit's like the wind, and the wind's like the spirit." And in and in Greek uh, and in Hebrew, spirit and wind are the same word. So John, uh, the last part of John three, or the middle part of John three, you're looking at verse thirteen through fourteen is really confusing if you don't know what he's talking about. So it's like the wind is like the spirit. It's like the spirit. It's like the wind. It's all, you, you can't see it, but you can see where it's going and where it's been. And Nicodemus is so confused. He actually says, I don't understand, or he, how can this be? And Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher. And you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. And we testify of what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How, how then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Now at this point, there's a 
Bible scholars are split on whether or not Jesus keeps talking here or if the next verse is John commenting on what Jesus said. So some of your verses may have red letters here. Some of them may have black letters. Um, The answer is we don't know which is which. But this to get John 3.16 to feel the full power of it, it can't just be painted on a poster board at a football game. Although, go ahead, write that on a poster board and hold it up at a football game. But the, the full power of John 3.16 comes from a full knowledge of, what, of, of one of the times the people of Israel were, had to be saved from themselves. And the snake was lifted up so that all who saw it could be saved from their own mistakes. And so it is John 3, 15, 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. It is those verses that provide the runway for which John three sixteen can take off. just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, just like that. So the Son of Man may be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. For God so loved the world. And that Greek word there, so, is actually not like really loved, but it's in the same way loved. In the same way as God took care of the Israelites, God is now taking care of us. For God, in the same manner, or God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Listen, this is how God loves you. Now, this is also how much God loves you, is that He gave His Son that it wouldn't be this treacherous obstacle course of doctrines that you must jump through, but it will be something that we can just look to to be saved, that we can find Jesus. And obviously, when we see Jesus, we want to be united with Jesus. When we see Jesus, we want to follow Jesus. When we see Jesus, we we want to be like Jesus because Jesus is better than a bronze snake. He's not just something to be looked Two, but he's someone to follow. He's a king to let rule. And so we find in Jesus something more powerful than just salvation. We, found, we find life. Sometimes we read that verse and we, in that verse we think, yes, that's, I found forgiveness in Jesus. But record scratch that for a second and bring it to a halt. We, are, we did not find just forgiveness in Jesus, we found life. The alternate, the, the options are not sin and salvation. The options are life and death. The options are when I, I look to Jesus, I find life. I find resurrection. I find hope. Because God loved the world so much. Or, <laughs> I said so much. That's, God loved the world, so loved the world. That he gave his only son, just like that snake in the desert, the sun will be lifted up and all who believe in him will find their salvation. 
they'll find life. What does it look like then to follow the one, the Son of Man, the one that God has lifted up? It, it looks like loving the world like God loved the world. We, um, we are typically a because love sort of people. Let me explain that. Why do I love you? Let me count the ways. I love you because your hair is golden blonde and curly like a swervy country road. I love you because you're wearing a black and blue dress. I love, what? Oh, you are. Okay, good. I love you because you make the meatloaf like mama made it. Or whatever it is that you say, for some reason, in our loving relationships, we've decided that the why we love each other is the most important thing. But God's love doesn't focus on why he loves us. God never says, I love you because you're this and because you're that and because you're this. God's love focuses on what he does out of that love. So the actually, the more romantic, or while it may be more poetic to say why I love you, the more romantic and more beautiful list is how I love you. How do I love you? Let me count the ways. I will, and then list it. Because I love you, I will do this for you. And so it, that's how it works with God. In the same way, God loved the world that he sent his only son. So a lot of times we love because. God loves that. God loves in an action. God's, God loves moved him. We are a society that is waiting to be moved by love. Love to impact the people, our love to impact the people around us. But God's love should impact us and move us. God, God's love is an actionable love. And He sent His Son to redeem us, to bring us life. He loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have life forever. Because God did not send his son to condemn the world. God did not send his son to condemn the world. He sent his son to save the world. If we want to be like Jesus, we've got to pull our fingers off the itchy trigger of condemnation. If we want to be like Jesus, we have to let our love act. If we want to be like Jesus, we have, we have, we have got to um, allow the world to feel uh, or be able to point to actions that say this is your love. And this starts in, in your home, 
in your marriage, in, with your kids, with your parents, with your grandparents, with your parents who are aging and you're taking care of them. Your, your love can't be impacted by their actions. Your love is impacted by God's actions. See, God, God loved the world so much. God loved the world beyond anything we can think of. God still does love the world that way. And his son is the representation of that love. And so if you're, if you're not moved by someone loving you like that, then this might not be your day. But, but why would we sit when the, and look the opposite way when the one who can save us has been exalted? Again, that's another one of uh, John's double meanings. When Jesus says the Son of Man also must be lifted up, that was the word they used for when they lifted the cross, and it was also the word they used for when they put someone on a throne. All right? Now maybe that's just me. But they, he's, Jesus was lifted up. He was exalted on the cross and on the throne. And on the cross, he redeemed you. And on the throne, he leads you. And now you are called to decide whether you're going to look to the one who is exalted. Or you're going to turn and try to tough out your own mistakes on your own. When we are united with Jesus through baptism, we are called, we, are, we, we, we find in that unification all the benefits of that Savior. And when we are um, uplifted with him in the sight of God, God finds no fault in us. Because our tab is paid by our Savior. We are adopted into his family. And if that's not good news, I don't know what is. So if, if today you want to look to the Son of Man, if today you want to follow the exalted king please come forward while we stand and while we sing